Hi folks, welcome to part two of our book club on Julius Savola's Revolt Against the Modern World. I'm joined by Stelios. Hello. And in part one, we covered the first half of the book, which is him, uh, it's called The World of Tradition. It's him laying out the metaphysics of the traditional pre-Christian uh, classical pagan world. And I thought that was very interesting. And part two is called The Genesis and Face of the Modern World. And in part two, he explains how uh, tradition has been supplanted and how it is uh, causing a spiritual and material degradation okay. of uh, the world until we reach the bottom of the Dark Age. There's the full collapse and we are reborn into the Golden Age again. Ah, so it's not a point of no return. Is that there is no, a no, no? Well, that's the, that's the point. Yeah. Is it un, unlike the sort of Whig version of history, where history is a straight line? Yeah. For him, history is a series of cycles, and each one begins and has a close, and then a new cycle begins, and the cycles are sort of a, a cycle of cycles. Okay. And so we go through the Golden Age cycle, the Silver Age cycle, the Bronze Age cycle, the Iron Age cycle, and then back to the Golden Age cycle. So it's history is a a pattern. Yes, it's it's a predictable thing. Mm. That, and we see this in the meme of, you know, the strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times, hard times create strong men. Yeah. That's, it rings true because there probably is some truth to it. I, I think there's uh, considerable wisdom in it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think there is. Um, and so in uh, this part, in the second half, he says that he plans to lay out the dynamic and unfolding of the traditional and anti-traditional forces in history, uh, rather than giving a methodological exploration into the world of tradition. He wants to, he wants to understand the sort of predominating factors that yeah. lead these cycles to the next ones. And so he begins by explaining the four ages of man. Now, these are expressly... Uh, from Greek mythology. But the thing is, all mythologies seem to have this sort of uh, cyclical view of the world. They are, of course, the Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, and the Iron Age. And he maps onto these his metaphysical um, analysis. Yeah. I don't think it was just in the Greek mythology. I think it was also in the Bhagavad Gita. I yeah, think, no, it, it's, it, the... it, it's in almost all of them, but it, yeah. the, it's the naming convention he's taken yes. from the Greek one. Yes, yes. Uh, and so we might think of the 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 most distant past as being cavemen banging rocks together, right? But that's not how he views it. Now, one of the interesting things about this is that he's not talking about levels of material comfort or technological expertise. Right? Yeah. He is speaking on a purely spiritual plane. So okay. what he's saying is in the Golden Age, mankind lived in the most heroic tradition and as close to the most heroic tradition. And it's interesting how this is actually completely compatible with mankind being cavemen. Right, yeah. because if you are um, li literally, you know, the the leader of a savage tribe, and you have to you have to be as as masculine as possible to fend off lions and whatnot, you know, you have to be the conquering hero that becomes the myth and legend that becomes Hercules or mm -hmm. Gilgamesh or whatever, and it's it's actually strangely compatible with technological development, and it's interesting because that renders technological development a kind of handicap to the authentic human experience, which leads us into the Iron Age, where everything is purely materialistic, but I'll get into that later. Um, and so in the Golden Age, like you have stories of heroes, because you, 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 you don't have history, you have legends. So you yeah. have Gilgamesh, you have Hercules, you have, you know, um, all, all, like every culture has one of these great heroes. And it's probable that it just represents, at some point in time, just some guy who is really strong. Is yep. really capable. 
you know, the, the legend spins out of control. Um, but uh, but Evola also points out that, look, if you've got history, you've got mythology, and they're tracking, and at one point history breaks away from mythology, the history is wrong, okay? <laughs> Don't worry about that. The mythology is what's important here. Okay. And uh, and I think he's right on that. So <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm going to continue with that sort of line of thinking for this uh, for this podcast. But he says that the uh, the fall of the golden age begins when the divine race of gods begin breeding with the human stock. So this is like the Nephilim, the angels, yeah. uh, you know, producing the giants in the earth. And uh, he argues that if we um, we in the modern era represent the sort of final stages of a devolved humanity. And I mean, if we look at testosterone levels. Okay. I mean, he has a point. I, I <laughs> just, is he wrong? Yeah, he, he has a point. I mean, <laughs> look I at don't modern think men. we can deny this. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those things where it's like literally all of this just like, well, I mean, he does have a point. Right, it's it's yeah. it's quite specific, and like it, it, it's very general. Uh, in it's a specific layer that's very broad, you know. And so there are lots of ways to attack it. But you know, if you stand back, but you go, yeah, okay, he's not wrong. You know that you could argue that there's a more authentic humanity in being in a primitive culture, right? You could definitely argue that they are more manly than your average soy boy who's protesting for trans rights. Okay, so. There's a big question here. Mm -hmm. that I, as I've said, I haven't read the book. I'm just trying to yeah, understand yeah. what I hear the way you phrase it. So before you mentioned that you're not talking about the past, Evola thinking that the past was a golden age in a material sense, no. but in a moral sense. Yeah, in, in, a, in a transcendent sense. So there, there, there is um, the transcendental world that we incarnate into yeah. the real world through our actions and in the golden era we were do we were living this and incarnating it authentically right this imminent transcendence where we were connected to the, the, the divine whether it was on the a mammoth hunt or whatever it was you know conducting some strange ritual uh and as the modern era has arrived we've totally lost all of that and so there's this this connection but this bridge between the two worlds has been severed and that leaves us uh Okay, but the the question I want to raise is that mm -hmm. whether it's how to understand masculinity, mm. because I think that essentially this is what is uh, what is essential here. Well, as we talked about last time, masculinity is the heroic, domineering, conquering solar archetype. Okay, but the question is whether this is too materialistic and we and is leaves the transcendent away. So why? So for instance, when we say today okay, we are a bit more, let's say, effeminate, mm -hmm. or we are not, we don't have the Gilgamesh physique. physique. Mm -hmm. We are not that manly in a physical sense, but still that doesn't mean that we are not, uh, we are not courageous in a moral sense. That, that's true, but this, this is, it's more about, it's not so much how you look. How you look is merely a consequence of what you do. Yeah. And the actions themselves are what are important. The actions are uh, taking the risks, overcoming the monsters, Conquering the problem and setting the order of okay. the universe, right? That's the important thing. Setting a masculine order of the universe. And I tell you what, if there's one thing you can't say about modern society is it's got masculine order, yeah. right? The, the energy is very distinctly feminine and uh, Aphrodite. 
Aphrodisiac? Of Aphrodite, I don't know. You mean that there is a promiscuity? Oh, yes. An an atmosphere of promiscuity. Uh, Yes, yes. And licentiousness. Yes, very much. And so the opposite of this would be the masculine and restrained uh, order of the cosmos. Uh, And so going into the next chapter, the Golden Age, right? And this is where man lived as close to tradition as possible in the heroic masculine form. And so, during this age, mortal people lived as though they were gods, and then no miserable old age happened to them. And this is very similar to Rousseau's view of the savage man, actually, uh, where he says in, in the social contract, well, look, man just uh, was forever a child, essentially. The, the race was old, but man was himself was forever a child. And he passed without anyone noticing, barely even noticing himself. Uh, it's a very similar sort of harmonization of views. Yeah. but And, and they, they both very much worship and appreciate this aspect of humanity, like living like this, um, but for very different reasons. But there's a question here that I want to ask, is that Mm -hmm. whether... So if he thinks that this this is a pattern that necessarily unfolds, why say that the past was a golden age and not say that, well, the past is an infinite cycle which manifests a pattern which had both golden ages, bronze ages, well, iron ages. Why cherry pick? You, you you could do that, but what he's he's really just beginning at the beginning of the cycle. Right? Okay. So at some point, man it lives in his golden age, and then the cycle pursues. But he would agree mm-hmm. that yeah, you know, this has doubtless happened many times throughout the past, mm-hmm. and will doubtless happen many times into the future. Okay. This is the cycle of human life that yeah. we're talking about. So there's no getting away from it. Uh, everyone is on the wheel, as it were. Um, but uh, he says, you know, he thinks, that tradition holds that the civilization of the Golden Age came from the northern Arctic regions of the world. And this uh, is the Hyperborean race. Okay. Remember, he's writing in the beginning of the 20th century where they use strange language to describe this. Uh, That's Nietzschean, I think. Uh, very well. It's just a common, common sort of uh, yeah. milieu that they were living in. Uh, the sort of, in sort of nineteen hundred, it was common for them to use terms like this, and they thought in these ways. Um, but this Hyperborean race was the progenitor of the solar principle. So it, it was the the northern stock who lived closest to the Arctic Circle, uh, and this um, this so this pole was obsessed with the sun because, of course, they got the least of it. Yeah, and so they were particularly concerned about this and. It's interesting how he ties the hardship of where they lived to the transcendental transcendental traditions they followed, right? Because the people of the South, as we'll get to in a bit, were very different. Yeah. And they were very much of the earth rather than being of the sun. Uh, and so he, he views these as two competing uh, – he, he, he says poles, but what he means is axes that life revolves around. So does he think that it is the condition of mankind to have lived in a golden age – like that, or the condition of the yeah. Hyperboreans. In the condition of the Hyperboreans. Okay, uh, and but, he was an Italian in the south. Yes, okay. from Sicily. So, okay, he definitely he, he's not he's not being ethnically particular about yeah. this, uh, and he speaks very highly of the Germanic people actually, yeah. uh, not being one himself. Right, so. He, uh, he, he goes on to talk about the pole in the Hyperborean region, uh, which you know was where the Hyperboreans came from. And uh, he says that actually what happened was a natural disaster, some kind of freezing. The long night descended in the polar region, and this caused a forced migration 
of okay. the northern peoples down to the south. Something like an ice age. Yeah, something yeah. like an ice age. Uh, and this is when the first cycle comes to an end and a new cycle, which is the Atlantic cycle, began. Uh, very interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't think historically any of this is true. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, there probably is something to it. Like, we're not sure exactly where the Germanic people came from, but it could be that they've come from Scandinavia or something like that, or they yeah. migrated up there. Who knows? I don't know. All right, but you know, there, there is a distinction between the sort of northern Germanic Europeans and the southern Mediterranean Europeans. Yeah, so, um, but uh, but he says. Um, Ever since the polar seat became deserted, it is possible to verify that progressive alternation and loss of the original tradition that will eventually lead to the Iron Age, or the Kali Yuga, the era of the wolf, and strictly speaking, to modern times. So this is all a sort of continual thing for him. Um, but uh, but the, the environment was what forced them to live as close to tradition as possible, in mm. his view. And it's close to the solar masculine tradition as well, of heroism, rather than the uh, telluric feminine tradition of uh, decadence. Uh, lots of moral judgments being made by Vola in this. So this, uh, this migration from the polar seat because of the descent of the Ice Age, uh, presumably, uh, leads to what he calls the Northern Atlantic Cycle, which is yeah. the Silver Age. Now, the Silver Age is not just uh, dominated by a different landscape is dominated by a different moral paradigm. Uh, and so he, he believes there were two great waves of migration, uh, first moving north to south, then west to east. Uh, so in uh, Western Europe, uh, say sort of France, Spain region, that sort of area, is where the Atlantic seat was uh, of civilization was located to. Uh, and this presumably corresponds to Atlantis, as described by Plato. In the Cretius, I think. Yes, yeah. that's correct. And uh, remember, where history disagrees with mythology, history is wrong. <laughs> and so along with the migration, a bunch of traditional symbols, names and languages were carried and became transposed over other geographic features. Uh, from the Atlantic seat, the northern race spread to the Americas and to Europe, as is recorded by the myths and legends of these places. And uh, Evola believes that these were what we would call in the modern era, or in his day, Cro-Magnon Man. Uh, who believed he believed were superior to the other kinds of humans that existed there previously. So I'm not even sure this is Homo sapiens sapiens that he's talking about. This is supposed to be how, so, far, back okay. it, how far back this is supposed to have gone. It, it, sorry, but in a, in a weird way, it reminds me of uh, some myths in Plato. Yeah. I think there well, is a myth from, like that exactly in the like Protagoras. That. Yeah, he's drawing he's from all about of how people were created by clay. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think he specifically refers to a golden age and... Uh, yeah. Governed by Kronos. Yep. And then Zeus yep. is supposed to have... Yeah, we'll, we'll get to Zeus. Zeus comes okay, about in the Bronze Age, you see. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so the, the Age of Atlantis is the Silver Age. And in the Silver Age, you have a feminine principle that is ruling over society. Uh, but it is not uh, the Aphrodite-an feminine principle, which is uh, decadent. It is the Demetrian feminine okay. principle. So it's the, the, the purity of the mother. Which is linked with uh, the earth and living from the earth. It is. He he expressly. Uh, we'll get to him in a minute. Yeah. In fact, I think. But um, he he expressly says that it's a, there's a kind of mixture of the civilization of the heroic father and the pure mother mm. in the Silver Age, uh, where these two values are in competition to, with, with with one another. Um, but the the Northern Atlantic cycle comes to an end in a great flood, which is well attested in mythology. Water again. 
Water again. Yeah. Well attested in mythology, apparently. Uh, well, definitely, in fact. Um, and so this uh, this is the end of like the genuinely sort of prehistoric yeah. era of this cycle. The myth of the flood again, yeah. that is constantly being absolutely, absolutely, yeah. it's constantly, constantly comes up. Uh, and so he then goes on to an examination of the north and south uh, poles, and these are the two poles of civilization that. Evola believes to be at odds with one another. So the Golden Age was the pure focus on the Northern Pole, which he describes as Olympian, and dedicates to the Hyperborean god Apollo. Uh, and the Silver Age uh, the is a mingling of the two poles, the Southern Pole, which is, of course, feminine, dark, uh, of the earth, uh, debauched. And He had women issues. Well, I mean, if you call it an issue, okay. like, <laughs> he, he certainly had his opinions. Uh, he, yeah. he he describes uh, his favourite hero as Hercules for being famously anti-gynocratic. Don't put women in charge, is Vola's view, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, this this doesn't uh, this the, the the Silver Age therefore was a, a sort of mingling of the the northern and southern poles right uh, and this isn't a, a day night cycle as it might be easy to interpret it but um it instead represents a, a competition of values mm. right? and so um he says that wherever the golden age is under the aegis of the sun so pure light and spiritual virility you get the universe revolving around a fixed point and the silver age is under the aegis of the water or the moon and all the source the source of all energy is therefore more flexible and more fluid and it's it's not the sort of masculine strength that's holding the universe in place it's adapting to chaos and, and changing conditions and do you think that there is a an analogy there with not holding lines trying yeah. to retreat whether it's from actual combat or from combat of other types whether it's social standards maybe things yeah. like that you know yeah absolutely yeah. like the 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 heroic masculine principle the solar principle is it's meant to be fixed in place by force and willpower, basically. Yeah. And retreating from these things leads you inevitably into the feminine principle. So he sort of says that the, the masculine principle is the orderly one. Yes. And the less masculine Sp we become, the more this order disintegrates Sp and the more disorderly society is. Exactly. That's exactly the problem. Yeah. Uh, the introduction of the feminine principle is the beginning of the downfall of the civilization. Yeah. And this happens all the time. Right. So uh, he... Um, he he carries on and says, look, you know, so you can you can map this onto history. So you can look yeah. at um, Neolithic idols, and they're almost all fat, pregnant women. Mm. You know, these very, very feminine. You got the sort of Minoan civilization, which is very f feminine, frankly. And uh, this um, this difference comes about specifically he says because of their environments he says the experience of the sun of light and of fire itself naturally acted in the northern races as a liberating spirituality especially during the long glacial winter the uranian and solar olympian or fiery figures also played a major role in the sacred symbolism of these races moreover the rigorous climate the barren soil and the need for hunting as well as the need to migrate across unknown seas and continents naturally shaped those who inly retained this spiritual experience of the sun bright sky and fire into warriors conquerors and navigators and thus the, the synth, that synthesis of virility, virility and spirituality, the characteristic traces which were retained in the Indo-European races. Um, to be honest with you, there's probably something to this actually, okay. um, because you like when when uh, when anthropologists use the term Caucasian, uh, that actually encompasses a massive amount of people on the Earth, like the the upper 
upper castes in India are Caucasian, like the Persians, the, the Iranians are Caucasian, obviously Europeans are Caucasian. You know, they're, they're, that actually encompasses, and a lot of migrations have come down from the north to be conquering peoples. I mean, like, even the pharaohs apparently are Caucasian. A lot of them, genetic studies have shown. So it's just like, there, there probably was some migration from northwestern Europe, that sort of area, into the rest of the world. And I don't think it's unrealistic to think that maybe these are hardier people because of the environment they had to live in, something like that. Yeah, I mean, the... the I, th I think this is really interesting, especially if we focus on geography, because mm. it, when we have rough climates, we have people who try to... Uh, get resources mm. and try to become inventive so mm. either they or aggressive they, or well. aggressive yeah. exactly so yeah there's i think there's something to it and uh there's also another thing that uh it's really interesting because mm. the landscape is really important for the character of a people mm. very much so so, for instance, uh, there is this uh, saying that says that freedom is born in the mountains because when in the mountains you can use the terrain against mm. the opponent Mm. And on a playing field, usually, uh, you know, the person who's outnumbered loses. Yeah, no. But sorry, I'm going on a bit of a tangent. No, no, no. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm something of a geographic determinist, I have okay. to say. Um, and in fact, Villa says, look, in the southern races, uh, the natural result of an e easier climate was not the solar principle because they were never so far away from starvation or privation in some way, like freezing to death or something like that, right? So I can, I can, see, I can see an argument to be made there. And so this shifted the center of gravity towards what he calls the Great Mother and their Chthonic goddesses, okay. um, which he doesn't speak of very highly, I'd say. Um, he says that the favorable climate and the natural plentiness eventually induced most people to seek peace and rest and to cultivate the feeling of contemplation and getting lost in nature rather than active pursuit of affirmation and self-transcendence. So he's expressly saying that um, to achieve the, uh, the Golden Age... You have to go through a period of privation. You have to suffer. You have to be. Uh, you have to have shortages and hardship. You know, none yeah. of this can come about through ease. I don't know if I agree with what he says about the southern races because I don't think necessarily the climate is easier or the ground is more fertile. You don't think so? No. So, for mm. instance, in Greece and especially in the Balkans, the ground is was completely infertile. Well, that's fair. Yeah, but. Uh, but then you've got other places like Italy and Egypt and the Middle East. The ground's amazing. Yeah. They produce massive amounts of harvest. So who knows? Um, but anyway, so moving on to chapter 27, which is the civilization of the mother. Uh, so he, he talks about this and you can, you can feel the disdain when he's talking about this. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't approve. Right. Um, he, uh, he says that the civilization of the mother is the civilization of the Silver Age, in which the feminine telluric, which means of the earth, those values predominate. And instead of cremating their dead to release the spirit from without of it, like the, the, the proper northern races do, they bury their dead. Gross. <laughs> uh, to inter the dead person back into the great mother. And he says that despite the name, the civilization of the mother is capable of being violent and bellicose due to a lack of patriarchal order, as in the, the people are not properly socialized into a proper order, and so they become uh, savage, actually, is the way he's looking at it. But how were they not savage before? Uh, the, people, the, this, the people who are the civilization of the mother have always been there, so they're yeah. autochthonous. Uh, and the, he calls it Pelasgian, uh, okay. which is a, a good term. Um, 
to differentiate the, the Pelasgians are the pre-Greek inhabitants of Greece uh, in ancient times, and the Dorians and uh, Achaeans and whoever else yeah, were supposed to have, yeah yeah, yeah were supposed to have migrated down from the north somewhere, and that's in their own legends. And so uh, Evola is taking that to mean oh well, these are the Indo-European, the Aryan uh, northern stock who imposed themselves on the Pelasgian southerners who were unable to resist because of their lack of order and virility and masculine energy. And, uh, I mean, people like the Spartans would definitely buy all that. So they would definitely agree. I mean, that's literally their heroic myth. Of, yeah. yeah, we're all descended from Hercules and we're here as the conquering people. So, you know. Uh, anyway, so... Um, he uh, he says that spiritual authority and and that means moral authority is based on femininity, which predominates over purely material, physical, virile instincts and qualities. Uh, so the the violence that this civilization does is not connected to a transcendental order. So they're not trying to instantiate the transcendent in reality. They're being just savage brutes who do violence for violence's sake. Right? Okay. And so it, there's nothing noble about what they do compared to. Uh, the golden era and the the Nordic civilization, uh, and so this Demetrian, uh, but the the Demetrian spirituality is not in and of itself ignoble. Uh, there are standards, you know, there are boundaries. This is, uh, uh, you know, there's a reason that it's framed in terms of silver and moonlight. Right, these are things that have a purity of their own. Uh, they should just be sublimated into the golden era, yeah. as far as he's concerned. Um, but the problem with approving of feminine values and you can't i don't think you can tell me he's wrong here is it at least the cycles of decadence in in what way uh promiscuity excessive consumption uh, a lapsing of standards a failure to uphold boundaries okay he's probably true he's probably right that's that's probably the cause of all the problems we see today <laughs> Anyway, um, so the the reason that the silver cycle degrades uh, is because there is no longer a pure spirit, and the man of the heroic cycle eventually rebelled against the lunar symbolism by either affirming himself or by pursuing violent conquests and by attempting to usurp certain spiritual powers. So what he's saying in this is that there is a, a masculine order that isn't being created in the Silver Age, and the... The men of the Silver Age will naturally rebel against the feminine order because they aren't being served as men. Okay. And so, but, but on the other hand, they're they're not acting as golden men. That's correct. So, is it does it have to do with them being somehow, according to his mythology, mm -hmm. them being raised by mothers, or the the maternal principle is stronger, and somehow they don't like yeah women, I, I think women's rule, but they are also habituated into yes. and raised up so they're, they're in not, such a manner. They're not good men. They're not golden age men. Okay. But they know that something is wrong. And they, like, I don't know whether, he, I mean, he probably means it in a spiritual sense, but if it, it comes across like he means like there's a natural tendency in men to not respect this kind of rule. Uh, and along with the decadence that goes with it, uh, this just starts, you know, the, the, the standards are slipping, the barriers are breaking, and it just starts collapsing. And do they misdiagnose the problem? Um, because if yeah. they did not, why would we not go back to the golden age? Yeah, the, well, well, that's the thing, because there's a kind of inevitability about all of this. 
to watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.